following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Uh, we are starting a new series here. Let's start with this thought, though. No one likes to be misunderstood. True or false? No one likes to be misunderstood. But there is someone here this morning who is grossly misunderstood. And it is the Holy Spirit. I mean, we start to think about uh, the God that we worship and who we have given our life to. We think about the triune God, the Trinity of God. We think about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Father, we can understand because of the concrete nature of of who a father is to us. And whether you had a good father or a bad father, we can at least understand the concept of this glorious head of a family. And, um, and of course, the Bible gives us great pictures of what it means to be uh, the heavenly father and to love us and to, uh, and to pour himself out for us. And, and then, of course, we have the son, the second uh, person of the Trinity. And, and again, a concept we can understand, the father and the son, both very concrete to us. And we have all the beautiful imagery of Christ and all the stories that are told of him and the, the gospel accounts of his life here on earth. We get it. Uh, the physical representation, the fact that uh, Jesus Christ became human like, like us, took on human flesh and uh, identified with us. It's, it's easier for us to understand Jesus. And so the Father and the Son, very concrete, I get it. But then we come to this third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. And we understand by the very nature of who the Holy Spirit is, that He is Spirit. That there's nothing really concrete about it. Nothing that we can put our hands around. No illustration that really helps us grasp who the Holy Spirit is. That He remains, of the three members of the Trinity, the, the most mysterious of all. Help me out, true or false? It's just true. And so when we were thinking about what kind of teaching series we wanted to have this year back in the late winter and early spring and the elders were getting together, we're praying about these things and the suggestion came up and then as we started to talk about it and shared that with you back in June that we were going to do this series on the Holy Spirit, I mean there was such uh, an excitement that built among the people that yes, finally someone's going to tell us something about this mysterious person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who according to the promise of God is here with with us every Sunday. And yet we know so little about him. And so we are going to go into this study. We are going to work for the next four weeks throughout this scriptures to understand this. And you would say, uh, that's great. I, I'm glad we're going to learn more about the Holy Spirit. I'm glad we're going to clear up the mystery here. And I hope to do that for you as best I can from the scriptures. But it's more than, and this is so important to say, this is far more than just a theology lecture, a locking down what we believe. This is more than, and can I give you the theological term? Theology is the general study of all things matter, that pertain to God, but pneumatology uh, is, is the study of the Holy Spirit, and we want to go a lot deeper than just understanding what we believe, because we understand by virtue of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives that He is present, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He lives inside of you. He dwells inside of you. In fact, we are called, and 
in First um, Corinthians, we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. The place of worship is it's right inside of us because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And so that's why this matters. The most mysterious member of the Holy Spirit of the, of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so therefore, this has massive implications for how I live my life. I mean, pause for a second before we get into all of this. I mean, I think that we understand in our minds that the Holy Spirit is always with us. We understand that, that everything is before the Lord, that he is omnipresent, he's everywhere. We, we get that. But every step that you took this week, every word that you spoke, every thought that you had, every activity of your hands, every personal interaction that you had with someone else, the Holy Spirit was right there. It's good for some of us. And it's hard news to hear for some others. Actually, if we were being honest about it, at some point in our week, it wasn't great news. Nod your head subtly, if that applies to you. Because <laughs> it applies to me. So this is so important. that This is more than a theology lecture. This is more than just filling our minds with information about the third person of the Trinity. This is life-impacting, transformational information that's going to pierce to the very core of who we are and hopefully by the end of four weeks completely transform us, amen? Because I need some transforming and I'm not interested in simple information. And so that's what we're going after here as we pursue all of this. And I've provided for you as you came in today. You may have noticed that you're, you're probably afraid going, wow, they haven't left enough time for him to preach because there was two pieces of note paper this week. Did you notice that? How many of you, just honest right now, you were a little afraid when you got that? Yeah, I understand. Um, I'd be afraid too. Um, one of them is an outline for the entire series. I just worked ahead. We, we had to put the whole thing together, make sure we captured everything about the Holy Spirit that we could capture. And so it's all right there for you. So you're going to be able to see what the outline, what the content of what we're going to be looking at for these four weeks. It's all right there for you. The second piece, though, is uh, this week's uh, message as we talk about the Holy Spirit's um, work in salvation in our lives. And so there are 14, as I studied the scriptures out and... and, and um, and understood all of this, our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I understand that there are 14 activities of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Scriptures, and those have been grouped around four broader descriptions of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, his work of salvation, to get us to the place where we're in a relationship with Him, His ongoing work of support in our lives, uh, His uh, work of gifting us, um, a gift of um, his work of service in us and using us to minister to the body and minister to this world. And then finally, his work of sanctification to make us more righteous, more holy, to make us look more like Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at all four of those and the 14 activities of the Spirit underneath each of those headings over these uh, four weeks. It's going to be a significant time together in the month of October, I believe. And God's going to do a deep work in us 
and as a consequence in our church as we seek to experience his presence and his power uh, in each one of us uh, each one of our lives and so uh, let's pray together and uh, then we'll start uh, working through these verses our god and father it's um it's amazing to be able to come together and to have uh, spent the time that we have expressing our heartfelt worship to you uh, to have already seen the baptisms and to witness these uh, stories of, of you transforming lives, saving uh, us from our sins. And uh, for those of us who have come to faith in Christ and have confessed these things in baptism, seeing this again takes us back to the day when we did that. And I pray uh, beyond that, Father, for those who have not done that, that this would be even convicting to them. And Father, all of that, we understand, is the work of your Holy Spirit in this place. Father, we know that you dwell in unapproachable light. We know that your Son sits at the right hand of the throne on high. And we know that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, was sent to us to indwell us, to be in the presence of the church. And so God, give us help at this time. Give us understanding. We're not going to ask you to speak to us, Father, because you've already spoken to us in your word. And so help us to grasp the truth that we have in front of us and for us, God, to be open to the things that you want to teach us today. Assure us of your presence and power in our lives today, we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's get uh, started with this, and I, I will say this, this is not, uh, this is one of those series, it's not kind of the normal stock and trade of harvest where uh, we would get into one passage and work verse by verse through it, that is not this series, so for the next four weeks, if you can indulge me, we're going to be moving throughout the scriptures to find uh, a bunch of scriptures that all relate to uh, this matter of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout the Bible, and so we are going to be doing some turning, you're going to see some verses up on the screen, we're going to try and uh, kind of uh, learn where all the books of the Bible are uh, through this time. So that's the added benefit to all of this. Um, so we're looking at this. The Holy Spirit worked to save me. And this, you want to make this personal. Uh, the Holy Spirit worked to save me, first of all, by convicting me. Um, I was shown my great need. And we're going to start in John chapter 16. And hopefully you're already there. You're going to see all the scripture verses uh, in your notes. But John chapter 16 and verse 8 Uh, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit here, when he comes, speaking, this is Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The whole matter of the conviction of sin convincing me of where I stand relative to God, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And we may not think, and as we start to think about these uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit or the works that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, uh, we may think of these things all as kind of positive things. Uh, These are really good things, and I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit and what He's pouring out in my life. And we start with this and we think, well, conviction doesn't really sound like a positive to me. This kind of sounds like we're starting on a downer. Uh, But the reality is this, and some of you know this to be true. Uh, This is good news in the same way that if you are not feeling well, if you have some physical ailment and you go to a physician to have that checked out and you get diagnosed, you may initially get some bad news. I'm sorry to tell you it's it's cancer. I'm sorry to tell you that the only way to fix this, um, if you don't want to live with it, is you have to have surgery. That's bad news. You just got a diagnosis. It isn't great. You're not healthy right now. 
But it's good news in the sense that, hey, listen, uh, it's cancer, but it's treatable. And we're going to put you through these treatments and, and you're going to be fine at the end, other side of it. Or, or, or you're going to need surgery for this. And once the surgery is done and you have the recovery, you're going to be better off. You're going to be healthy again. And, and so that, that's where we're at right here. That the conviction of the Holy Spirit is you're sitting in the doctor's office and the, and the, and the diagnosis has come. You're a sinner and you're sick. And there's only one way to get that fixed. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us right here. Uh, No one is getting into a relationship with God the Father until they acknowledge they aren't in one in the first place. We're not born into this, a relationship with God. We can't just fall into it along the way. God isn't accepting everyone into heaven. In fact, every one of us is, is, is at enmity with God. We're, we're called enemies of God and our sin separates us from Him. And if the separation from God isn't acknowledged, then the salvation isn't valid. You hear that? If the separation from God is not acknowledged, then the salvation is not valid. You see, when leading someone into a relationship with Christ, and we're encouraging you so much to go out and tell people your story and to try to tell them the gospel and to invite them to come and be part of this church family and see what God is doing. And as you go out there and do that, the temptation can be, because we're looking for people who are ripe to this, who are red apples for the gospel. And so you're looking for people even who are having crises in their lives. But the thing is, the, the, the thing is that the gospel doesn't solve the crisis. Not the immediate crisis. Not the thing that attracts people to the gospel in the first place. See, the true crisis is not the financial problem that you found yourself in. It's not the divorce that you're going through. It's not the cancer diagnosis. It's not the addiction that you find yourself gripped by. That's not what the gospel is coming to serve and to solve. You see, what the gospel is about is solving an eternal problem that we have. And the reality is that after we preach the gospel, after we bring someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, after we share our life with them and they respond to it, they may still be in a difficult situation. You can lead someone to faith in Christ, responding to the fact that they do have a life-ending diagnosis and their life is still going to end. You can lead someone to Christ, and at the end of it, they may still go bankrupt. You can lead someone to Christ, and they may find victory over the addiction, but still be suffering the consequences of those addictions throughout the balance of their lives. You may lead someone to Christ, sharing the gospel with them, and their marriage still may end. but they're going to have a hope inside of them that will be unshakable. They will have the promise of eternity with Jesus Christ. Their souls, while their flesh may yet fail, their souls will be brought safely into the arms of Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. We can't share the gospel with people in a way of, to, just to help solve their temporal problems. 
There's a much bigger problem. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit helps people to see that. We are separated from God by our sins. That's our greatest need. That's everyone's greatest need. And it doesn't come from inside of us. It's not a realization that we come to on our own. Nobody wants to admit they're a sinner. The whole mantra of the world is that you're basically a good person. Everybody has good inside of them. If you look hard enough, everybody has good. We just need to be good. We need to be better people. It's not happening. We're sinners. We're separated from Jesus Christ by virtue of our sin. And it's only the Holy Spirit inside of us that convinces us and convicts us of our problem, of our plight. I want to show you, I'll read for you. You can just listen uh, to this verse. Again, it's written for you in your notes. 1 Corinthians 2, around verse 10. Here's what Paul writes. And you know what? We're going to come to these verses again later in this series when we're talking about the illumination of the Holy Spirit and how he opens the scriptures to us. But but you have to see that it all comes from the Spirit. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In other words, we can't know anything about God, anything of importance, anything of eternal effect in our lives unless it comes from the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This whole thing comes from the Lord God. Verse 17, the natural person, that's the person who has not yet uh, had the Holy Spirit invade their lives. The natural person, at one point, all of us were natural people. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. How many people, you have a friend or a family member who is a natural person, they do not have the Holy Spirit in them, they are not a follower of Christ, who thinks that your thing is foolish. You got someone like that in your life? Okay, fulfillment of the Scriptures. They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are, I love this phrase, spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself uh, to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. These things are spiritually discerned. The sinfulness, the plight that we're under is spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. It comes from God. That's the starting point for all of us. We, we fall under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and the Holy Spirit isn't working in us for salvation unless we've started right there with the conviction of sin. I, I would say to anybody who's here, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the first step in that is acknowledging that there's a God and that you don't have a relationship with Him. And the reason for that is your own fault. It's your own sinfulness. And until you're ready to confess those sins, we heard it three times over in the baptistry already this morning. I needed to confess I was a sinner. I needed to confess I was a sinner. My sin separated me from God. It's the Holy Spirit who does that work in us. 
Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit worked to save me by convicting me and also, uh, notice, regenerating me. I was made alive. I was uh, made alive. Shown my great need and having recognized that, now I need life uh, coming into me. When I talk about our real problem being sin, by that I mean that sin's end game, it's not even, like sin isn't even the end game. The end game of sin is what? Somebody help me out. It's death. Now we recognize that when sin came into this world, we were all placed under the condemnation of that, and we all were then condemned uh, no longer to live forever, to have eternal life um, uh, in God's presence, but, but we came under the condemnation of death. Sin infected this world, and so everyone dies now. Physical death. I mean, that's a consequence of sin coming into the world. And I want to... Death is horrible. Death is tragic. I've presided over uh, many, many funerals in the 20 years that I've been a pastor. And, and it, it's always painful. It's always, there's always tears. There's always grief. There's always just a, a horror at this whole thing. Some more intense than others. But even when someone's lived a good, long life, it's, it's hard. It's hard. The reality is that in the original creation, when God made us perfect, the thing that he didn't fit us to do is he never actually fit us to die. We weren't designed for it. That's why there's this ache. That's why some of you, even decades after you lose a loved one, the ache is still there. Because we've been separated from someone we love, and it was never supposed to be that way. And sin's endgame is death. As a result of sin, we die physically. But also this, and this is what Revelation calls four times in the book of Revelation, is called the second death. So not only do we, do we die physically and have this transition from this temporal life to an eternal life, uh, but then the second death is a condemnation where we are separated from God forever and ever, and the chance of salvation uh, ever happening for us is completely and entirely removed. And that's a tragedy that can't even be expressed. That goes beyond any, any I lost my loved one death. Second death. Eternal separation from the Lord. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're, you're under that condemnation this morning. I don't know all of you. I know many of you. There may be some people here who I don't know and you've not made this decision yet. You don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and I just want to tell you, I hope you didn't come here today expecting some feel-good message, some, you know, just kind of lollipop theology that was going to make you feel all uh, tingly inside and send you out the door. Everybody who knows me knows that's not really my shtick at all. But I need to tell you something right now. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're under the condemnation of sin and death. Everybody in this room is going to suffer unless Jesus comes back. We're all going to suffer physical death, but some of you in this room are still under the condemnation of second death. Eternal separation from God. I need to tell you that. I need to appeal to you to get that taken care of today because that can happen. You can make a decision today to to get out from underneath that uh, condemnation and to be brought to life so that no longer are you dead and your trespasses, but you're alive to Christ. Now take a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, 1. I'm not going to wait for the pages to stop turning. 
Uh, you can just keep uh, working your way there. As Paul says here in Ephesians 2.1, uh, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I mean, even while we're still alive physically. You say, Todd, I don't look very dead, do I? I made my way here today. I'm living, I'm breathing, my flesh is warm, I'm, I'm alive. And yet you're saying I'm dead. I'm saying you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are, in effect, I don't know how much you like zombie movies, but this is zombie theology right here. Write that down, because that's the worth the price of coming right there. Literally, those who are not in Christ are the, ready for this, you're the walking dead. You're the walking dead. You give the appearance of life, you're walking around, you're conducting yourself throughout life, you're doing the things that everyone else is doing, but, but inside and eternally, there's no life there. You're dead spiritually, and, and so we are sinners before Christ. Under judgment of death, it creates the need then to be brought to life, and thankfully, God had a plan. Amen? Thankfully, God had a plan. And uh, God provided His own Son for us uh, to, this is the word, regenerate us. The zombie can be given life. The walking dead can be alive both internally, externally, both temporally and eternally. I can be made alive through the power of God's Holy Spirit in my life. I can be regenerated, brought back to life in Him. Turn to John chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. You know what's going on in this chapter. This is a conversation with Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. He's trying to figure all of this out. He doesn't do a very good job of it here, in fact. And Jesus is answering all his questions as best he can, and he's God, so he answered them pretty well, don't you think? And Nicodemus doesn't seem to think so. But by the end of the story, uh, the end of the Gospels, we get a pretty good indication that Nicodemus finally did get it and was a follower of Christ. But at this point, he's, he's just simply not getting it. Verse 5, we'll pick up the story here. Jesus answered him. Because Nicodemus is all confused about physical life and spiritual life and being born again because Jesus already used that phrase. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of water refers to a physical birth. Those of you who have been around, not to gross anybody out, but those of you who have been around for a physical birth knows that there's water involved with that. All right, and, and, and lots of it sometimes. I, Cheryl's water uh, with Joel's birth. Is this going to gross anybody out? Just hold up your hand right now if this is going to gross you out. Okay, just stick your fingers in here, okay? You don't have to listen to this, but I love telling this story. So our first child, I have no clue, all right? I'm clued out, first child. We're sitting at home. Doctor had told us to go out for a walk. He wanted to get things rocking, you know, so we go out for a walk. We go back. We're watching Peter Mansbridge on CBC News and um, sitting on the couch there, and Cheryl goes, my water broke. She says, you better go get a towel. So I rushed off and I just grabbed the first thing I could find. I think it was like a washcloth, which is like, like this big, right? I dig that. I told you, I was a rookie. It was my first kid. And so I take this back to her. She says, I don't think you understand. There's a lot of water here. Okay, born of water. I'm not going to say it anymore. Born of water, physical, live birth. Got it? Okay. Born of the Spirit is the thing that Nicodemus was really struggling with. And Jesus says here, unless you're born of water, physically born, and also born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
You have to be born again, born of the Spirit. This born again, this whole notion of being born again, it's this regeneration brought back to life by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to throw a verse up here on the screen. We hear in Titus 3, 5, this is what Paul writes about it. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. That's so important. It's not religious work here. But according to his own mercy, entirely the work of God to save us. His own mercy by the washing of, here's the word, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's God's spirit work inside of us that moves us from death to life. Applying the benefits of the resurrection to our life. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus did. Born, now he's, he's God, but born of water to the Virgin Mary. Lives his human life. Offers his perfect life, having never sinned, as a sacrifice for us. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He's placed in the tomb. And on the third day, he's raised to new life. He is resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the effect of that, the benefit of that resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is then applied in each one of our lives. There's no other way to come to life but that the Holy Spirit takes the power of Jesus coming back. See, because when he, when he left the tomb, he triumphed. We sang about it this morning. He triumphed over sin, overcoming it, and he triumphed over death, the consequence. And so it's that resurrection power that then gets applied to each one of our lives. The same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that saves us and sets us on an eternal course to be with our God forever. To the glory of God. Now I want you to see one more set of verses here, and this is in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. If you kind of throw up in your Bible to the middle, you're going to find Psalms. Keep turning right. Go past Isaiah and Jeremiah, two, two rather lengthy books. You might see Lamentations, but probably not. And then keep turning. You'll see Ezekiel and chapter 36. How many people in the room have read Ezekiel in the last five years? Just raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. All right, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Here's what I love about this. It becomes so tender and so personal at this point. It becomes so real and tangible. I can feel it. I can taste it. This is the point at which I go, all theology aside, I love this. That God cares for me this much. God says to his nation of Israel, just as they're in exile and under the condemnation of sin, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I, I love the tenderness of that. I love the hope that that engenders. I love how personal it is. I love how warm it is. I feel when I read these verses, and it's okay to feel this, I feel God gathering me into his arms and breathing his own life into me. Do you feel that? I love that. 
I love that God makes it that real, that tangible to me, gives me this living, breathing, one-on-one, God-in-me relationship. That's what he gives me. That's what he gives you. We've moved from death to life by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And I hope you have that. A lot of the reasons why the Holy Spirit's so mysterious to us, and for some of you it's because you're a newer believer and you've never heard anything like this, and this whole thing is all new to you, but for a lot of us coming out of different church traditions... No one ever spoke to us about the Holy Spirit. And we were told that using words like feelings and and, and experience, that, that was all taboo. And it's not. It's here in the scriptures. God's tender towards us. He, he's gathering us in. He's loving us. I feel his embrace. And we ought to. It's God who made us this way. It's God who gave us this internal desire to have relationships. Let's celebrate that. Let's, let's embrace that ourselves and enjoy what God has for us. The Holy Spirit worked to save me by convicting me and also regenerating me. And now that work continues. Thirdly, you're tracking along here. If you're with me, just say, I'm with you. All right, baptizing me. I was accepted. I was accepted. Now, using this word baptize, baptizing, baptism on a day when we did water baptism, I think it's really important to actually make the distinction and make sure we understand what it really means, what the distinction is between water baptism and what we're going to talk about here in terms of spirit baptism. Now, water baptism, let me just read this for you, is a biblically prescribed, external, visible rite whereby we let everyone else know that we have professed faith in Jesus Christ and are identifying with the church. Right? This is the point at which we stand up and when we're asked the question, are you a follower of Christ? The answer is totally. Correct? Totally. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to uh, let you know that in the way the Bible prescribes for that. It's going to be visible, tangible. We're going to have the church watch it and celebrate it. Uh, that's water baptism. It's a visible representation. It was really important that you heard that all three people trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior prior to getting, maybe seven days prior, but prior to getting into the tank. No one got saved this morning in the water. That happens before. This is a representation. Now, spirit baptism is different than that. It happens at the time of salvation and is an internal act of the Holy Spirit to accept us into God's family, identifying us as the sons and daughters of God. And so what we can say about that is that when a person goes into the tank and they're brought down into the water, uh, we have uh, a representation visually of what happens in our identification with Jesus Christ. We are, and my old pastor at the church I used to be in, and several people were part of that church in years gone by, he would always say as he baptized people, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And that's what it pictures. You want a good verse on that? I'll just check out Romans chapter 6, which kind of explains all of that. And so, so this pictures what's happening in salvation in the process of being regenerated and baptized into the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of God. Now, if you want to see this in the Scriptures, let's uh, go to the book of Acts. And this is an important place to go whenever we're studying the Holy Spirit. 
In the book of Acts, we see that Jesus lays out the post-ascension plan. Um, he came and he spent his life here, and, and then he was going to be ascended after his resurrection. He's going to ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the throne of God, but he made a promise. Now check this out. This is Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus, it's speaking of him here, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them uh, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me. Jesus told him about this promise. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But uh, John the Baptist had already spoken about this uh, prior to that. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's really built off of kind of part of John the Baptist's sermon that he would preach. It's recorded in all four Gospels where uh, he talked about Jesus. He said, I'm baptizing with water, uh, but one is coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He was speaking about Jesus. And so this is the post-ascension plan. I mean, God's putting his name on us. He's going to baptize us into his family. and He's going to put his name on us. Now, I, I pulled out this morning. I was uh, born, as many of you know, I was born in the province of Quebec. I was born in Montreal, 1964. Um, I'll do the math for you. I'm 49. Um, and and when, when you were born in the province of Quebec, and other people here who are Quebecers who would know this, uh, you, didn't get, uh, you didn't get birth certificates, or you didn't get uh, birth certificates, that's right, you didn't get those. The government didn't issue birth certificates, everything was done through the church, because at one time, Quebec, rather secular today, but at one time was so entrenched with the Catholic church that um, uh, they just didn't issue birth certificates. What you got, everybody got, was their baptismal certific- certificate, and this was the official thing. And I can remember right up until the time I was in my teenage years, Quebec still did not produce any birth certificates. You just, every time I needed one, I would pull out this certificate from St. Ignatius Church in Montreal, North Quebec, the signatures of my mom and dad and my three godparents and the uh, priest who was a part of that congregation and uh, properly certified and all of that. This was, this was what validated who I was. Uh, Three months after I was born, I was uh, sprinkled with some water and uh, my name was given to me and this is the document that records at that. Now, there's a lot about that that's not biblical and not totally right. I appreciate my parents doing that, and they're here today. And, but I have since been baptized biblically uh, after my decision to become a follower of Christ. But part of what they did get right there was the identification part. That's what baptism's about. It's about identification. It's about acceptance into a family. When my parents brought me to Reverend Goodings and, and we had that thing done in September 1964, I mean, that was an identification. I was being given my names. I was declared to be part of the Dugard family at that very moment. And when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, it is an identification with God's family. When God puts His Holy Spirit on it, He's saying, this is my son, this is my daughter, I'm putting my name on them, they belong to my family, and they will be eternally resident in my home. That's great news. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, baptizing us into this family. And it's fulfilled, by the way, just look uh, across the column probably, uh, Acts chapter 2. So they listened to Jesus, they stayed in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for in one Spirit 
we were all baptized into one family. And that's what's going on here. He's brought us into his family. That's the amazing effect of the Holy Spirit's baptism in our lives. And with all that we do in this world to try and find our way through the world and, and, and find an identity for ourselves and have a sense of belonging and where do I fit and what's my purpose and, and who's going to love me and, 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 and people constantly uh, striving against the, the uh, expectations of others and how I'm trying to be something for someone else and, and the whole thing, all of the struggle we have in this area could be solved by one simple decision to become a follower of Christ and then live according to the fact that I belong to God the Father. I'm telling you, if we could lock down this matter of identity and belonging to His family, it solves everything else. We wouldn't be so consumed with trying to figure out what it means to be a husband, a wife, a a mother or father, a brother or sister, a son or daughter what it means to serve our employer or to be an employer, what it means to be a neighbor to someone who doesn't know Christ. All of this is rooted in our identity in Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been baptized into His family. You have His name on you. You belong to Him. You don't need to struggle with all of that identity anymore. We have been baptized it's a done deal. It happens just once. When you make your decision to follow Jesus Christ, at the moment of your conversion, God's Holy Spirit comes upon you and takes up residence in your life. And He's there for good. And I love that. Well, finally, the Holy Spirit, His work in my life for salvation. Uh, Finally, this sealing me. I was made secure. Now, you've uh, likely seen a legal seal before. Uh, When it's placed, for example, on a certificate like the one I just showed you for my baptism, it was impressed in a way that it showed the legitimacy of that document. And um, we could also look at this, and you've seen this before, I'm sure, and especially in ancient times now, it's done more uh, for decorative reasons. uh, um, But uh, in ancient times, this was done, uh, the seal would be affixed in such a way so that the contents of the letter were made secure, they were authentic, the uh, wax that would be put onto the envelope would keep the envelope closed until the right person, uh, uh, the recipient, uh, would have gotten it and could open that and know for sure that wax was stamped with the die of the king or the government or the official who had written it. And, and so this stamp would uh, communicate the legitimacy of the document. The seal would communicate ownership, origin, authenticity, and security. And in effect, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. I would say that of the four things we're looking at this morning, I think um, most of us would even say that this is probably the most mysterious and the least known of the four things that we're even looking at today. Maybe some of you are going to have even heard about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But this is what legitimizes us. This is what provides us with an assurance about everything else that's taken place uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The, the, the conviction of our sins and, and, and the, and the um, 
And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, all of that is what's tucked into the envelope. And then the envelope is closed and those things are done in our lives and the seal of the Holy Spirit is placed on that envelope. And then we take possession of that and that's our guarantee. That's our assurance. We have this. This is what God has done in our lives. It's legit. It's secure. Let's look at 2 Corinthians now, chapter 1, to see this. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 21 and 22. Just notice the language here. It is, it is God who establishes us. That sounds pretty confident and, and secure as I read it. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also, notice here, put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit. This is set. It's secure in our lives. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We can be confident in this. There's no indication at all that once we are truly the followers of Jesus Christ, that we could ever lose that, that it could ever be taken away from us, that we could ever fully walk away from it. Because when we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, when we understand that salvation top to bottom is a work of God in our lives and not our work at all, then we understand we could never walk away from it and no one could ever take it away. It's sealed firmly by the Holy Spirit in our lives. You say, well, what about when I do drift? What about when, I, when I'm not particularly living as a Christ follower? Well, ultimately, that's an issue between you and the Lord, but I have a verse for that that I think is pretty important we look at, and this is a little bit later on in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 4.30. There's a warning for us. Notice what it says here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't make God sad by the way you're living your life. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Notice by whom you were, what's the word? Sealed for the day of redemption. I mean, all that good stuff, it's tucked into the envelope. We've closed it up. We've sealed it. It's set secure. You're in possession of these assurances that you truly are His and no one's ever going to take that away. But somehow, though you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're grieving Him by the way you're living your life. You're not living consistently with the thing that God has put in front of you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you're not listening to His Word. You're not following up on the things that you're learning. You're not growing in Him. It's because of decisions that you're making. In the manner of your walk. You see, it's possible, though saved by God and sealed by His Holy Spirit, to still live in such a way that at times He's just not happy with it. And here's the thing. Sometimes we rationalize that. We come up with reasons why that is. 
We talk about it being a season. I'm just kind of away from the Lord right now. A a plague amongst those who make decisions for Christ in their teenage years and then go off to college. I'm taking a break from God. I'm checking out the world. I'm I'm, I'm kind of pursuing my own thing right now. I still kind of believe in God, but church isn't a priority and I don't want to be in a small group and I have this little thing in my life, but based on how far I've come, it's not really a big deal and we rationalize and we explain it away. But when we're truly a follower of Christ, I know this to be true in my own life and probably many of you do as well. In that season where you're grieving God, You know it. There's no escaping it. When you genuinely have the Holy Spirit and and that seal is on your life, you know you're making Him unhappy. You know you're in rebellion. there's, There's no denying it internally. You might be denying it externally. You might be telling other people, but internally you know it. Because it's the Holy Spirit in you who's still doing that work of convicting you and telling you about your sin. If you don't have that, doesn't matter. If you don't have, if, you, if you're uh, living counter to God's law, if you're steeped in sin, and you don't have that internal voice telling you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit uh, marking these things out for, if you're not bothered at all in your conscience about it, then I'm going to tell you straight up, you're not saved. You may have have at one time professed faith in Christ. You may have at one time even been baptized. You may at one time have become a member of a church. You might even have been a member of this church. You might be carrying around an envelope that you think has the baptism of the Spirit in it and the regeneration of the Spirit in it, but there's no seal on it. You've gone through the external motions of these things, but you've not allowed that to really transform you and change you. You've not really come to Christ if you're not bothered by your sin. According to the Scriptures, you are not saved. Come to Christ. Because when He seals us by His Holy Spirit, He makes us secure in Him. That's something that you can really remedy right now by turning your life over to Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look back just as we kind of bring this first message to a close. I want you to look back at those four outline points and I want you to notice something about the grammar of it. Every once in a while I like to point out the grammar, right? Make the English teachers happy. And point out to you the verb tenses, which are all, somebody help me out. They're all in past tense. They're all in the past. These are the, these are the final works of God. I was shown my need. Spoken, these points all spoken from the vantage point who's a true, a person who's a true follower of Christ. I was shown my need. I was made alive. I was accepted. I was made secure. And this is important because the activities of the Holy Spirit in saving us are are one time for all time works. One time for all time works. They happen at salvation. And what we're going to look at in the coming weeks are ongoing works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the question pressing on us here this morning, 
Have you experienced this one time for all time powerful work of the Holy Spirit to save you? Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for um, hearing our prayers. Father, for inclining your ear toward us, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, loving us so much that you would do that and send your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. And then, God, as we gain an understanding here, we, we want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. We want to thank you, Holy Spirit for being in this place today, for manifesting your presence to us, for being in our lives and doing this deep work of convincing us of our sins, of of drawing us to yourself and making us alive in you, of receiving us into your family and putting your own name on us. And Father, of making us secure. God, every one of us as followers of Christ, if we've heard these words, are walking out of this place today confident and and lifted up by you. And Father, for some here today, they stand under condemnation. Father, they need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I would plead for those right now. I would plead with you, Father, to take that first step by your Holy Spirit and and press your Holy Spirit upon the hearts of those who are not followers of Christ right now. And God, I would be eager to see them in this moment coming to a realization of their own sinfulness and their separation from you. And beyond that, their need, their desire to be in a relationship with you. God, I pray that salvation would come to this house today. That people would come to faith in Christ who walked in these doors, dead men and dead women. But God, they would be given life in this moment from your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.